Did you know that A Fear of Unions is basically the reason that we have the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences today, and therefore the Academy Awards? Well, it is. In this video, we'll talk about the founding of the Academy, the early award shows, and how the Academy works today. Welcome to Real Hollywoodland, where we delve into the stars and stories of old Hollywood. Before we get started, please be sure to like this video and subscribe to the channel if you want more old Hollywood-related videos. Okay, enough of that, let's dive in. To understand why the Academy was formed, you have to understand how the studio system worked at that time. Basically, the banks on the East Coast financed the movies that were being made by the studios on the West Coast. Talent signed with the studios and did what they were told, pretty much, while under contract. All of the profits from the pictures went back to the studios, who paid back the financiers. The studios then kept the remaining profits for themselves. The talent basically belonged to their studios, and the studios got most, if not all, of the upside. Residuals weren't a thing at that time. That model was a bit risky for the studios, though. They had a lot of things that could go wrong. What if the labor organized? What if the contract players wanted more control? That could be disastrous for the studios. The talent may even eventually want pensions or healthcare, or even a cut of the picture and residuals. That would topple the whole studio scheme. L.V. Mayer, head of MGM and our favorite old Hollywood villain, would be the one that saw this potential danger coming and knew something had to be done about it. As media moguls do, L.V. wanted to build a beach house in Santa Monica. Naturally, he wanted to use crews and designers from the studio since they were way cheaper than paying contractors who were not otherwise on his payroll. However, they weren't able to help as set designers and other crew members had just entered into a new labor agreement and unionized. These new agreements barred outside projects, which is what LB's dream house would be considered. Don't worry, LB being LB was still able to find cheap labor to build his house, but he saw clearly where the industry was going. It was only a matter of time before actors, directors, and writers would want to unionize too. Their wages and benefits could really torpedo his profitability. So what was his solution? Mayer and some other studio executives founded the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences in 1927 as a way to prevent unionization. They would persuade actors and other talent to become Academy members instead of forming their own labor unions. To get the Academy off the ground, he had to first get some influencers on board. So he got Hollywood royalty at the time, Douglas Fairbanks and Mary Pickford to join, with Douglas becoming the Academy's first president. Mayer promised the original 36 members, comprised of actors, writers, producers, and technicians, that if they joined the Academy, that working conditions would improve, and he hoped any rumblings of forming unions would dissipate. The first order of business was starting with the Studio Basic Agreement, which was an agreement between the five major studios, RKO, 20th Century Fox, Paramount, Warner Brothers, and MGM. The point of the agreement was to negotiate wages, benefits, hours, and discuss grievances. Not only would it help prevent potential labor problems, LB knew that the Academy would also be great for publicity. But for the first few years after being established, besides a studio basic agreement, nothing much really happened. Enter the Academy Awards a couple of years later, in 1929. The awards were a genius idea. The initial aim of the Academy Awards was lofty. According to the Academy's rulebook, the Academy Awards of Merit should be considered the highest distinction attainable in the motion picture profession. What's a better way to distract people and prevent them from wanting to band together than to have them fight amongst themselves for a very prestigious award? In Lion of Hollywood, The Life and Legend of Louis B. Mayer, Scott Eamon quotes a rather smug-sounding mayor on the Oscars. 
quote, I found the best way to handle filmmakers was to hang medals over them. If I got them cups and awards, they'd kill themselves to produce what I wanted. That's why the Academy Award was created, end quote. So basically, the awards were founded to exert more control over the labor in the industry. The first ceremony was held May 16, 1929, in the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel's Blossom Room as a private dinner hosted by Douglas Fairbanks. The after-party was at the Mayfair Hotel and tickets cost $5, or $78 in 2021. Side note, the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel is still operating in Los Angeles as a luxury hotel if you want to stay there sometime. But only stay there if you dare. The ghosts of Marilyn Monroe, Montgomery Clift, and Carol Lombard have been spotted by hotel guests. Marilyn's ghost hangs out in room 1200, Monty's in room 928, and Carol floats around on the top floors. Let me know in the comments if you've ever stayed there and if you've heard of any other ghost stories about the hotel. Okay, back to the first Academy Awards. 15 awards were given out that night and the ceremony ran only about 15 minutes. Not much media was present and there were approximately 250 guests because the whole thing was new and no one really knew what was going on. It was so far underrated that the New York Times spent only two paragraphs covering the star-studded event. The first awards were the only show not to be broadcast on radio or television. The next year, it began to be broadcast on radio. The show began to broadcast on TV in 1953 and drew an audience of around 40 million viewers that year. More time was actually spent on dinner and dancing than the award ceremony itself. Only five performers were nominated in total, and only two of the five, Janet Gaynor and Louise Drescher, were in attendance. Gloria Swanson and Richard Barthelmus were traveling, and Emil Jannings had gone back home to Germany. It makes sense that all of the actors didn't make a huge effort to attend the first ceremony. There wasn't a ton of suspense, or any really, because the winners had already been announced three months ahead of the ceremony. Organizers realized this was a bad idea, and for the second ceremony held at the Coconut Grove nightclub, April 30th, 1930, they began announcing the winners on the spot, in part hoping that everyone would actually show up. Although the nominees after that first ceremony didn't know who won, winners were announced in the newspapers for publication at 11 p.m. the night of the awards, or at least they were supposed to. In 1940, the LA Times took the info and published it before the ceremony and messed up the whole system. So since 1941, they have used the sealed envelope method that we all know today. But maybe knowing the winners in advance wasn't the worst idea in the world. I mean, it would have avoided the 2017 incident when Faye Dunaway announced La La Land as Best Picture winner instead of the actual winner, Moonlight. Beyond how the awards were announced, the way nominations worked has changed a bit as well. Back then, you were nominated for your performances for the entire year. So when Janet Gaynor won Best Actress, it was for three performances that year, Seventh Heaven, Street Angel, and Sunrise. Her competition, Louise Dresser, and Gloria Swanson were only nominated for one performance each. Considering she was nominated for three performances compared to just one each for the other nominees, she probably had a pretty good chance of winning. It was a bit fair on the Best Actor side with each nominee, Emil Jannings and Richard Barthelmus each being nominated twice, so they each had a 50-50 chance of winning. Emil Jannings ended up winning the award, and as I said, he wasn't even there to receive it. Fairness wasn't exactly the name of the game in the early days. Academy members didn't vote that first year. Instead, they just submitted the nominees that were later narrowed down to a maximum of three for each category. The winners were then chosen by the Central Board of Judges, who were composed of a member of each branch of the Academy. It was basically done electoral college style instead of by the popular vote, which as we all know works wonderfully. This process has changed a lot since then. At the end of this video, I'll talk about how winners are chosen today. One thing that hasn't changed much is the trophy that is handed out. 
The statue itself is three and a half inches high and weighs eight and a half pounds today. This is the same design as the original design, but just larger. This can be seen clearly when looking at Katharine Hepburn's four Oscars side by side. The one she won for Morning Glory in 1934 is noticeably smaller and has discolored differently over time. This is because the early statues were made of gold plated bronze. A few years later, it was switched to a Britannia metal to make it look shinier. During World War II, statues were painted gold due to the metal shortage. After the war, winners were able to exchange their trophies for another gold-plated one. The original statue was created by George Stanley from a design by Cedric Gibbons, and it has a symbolic meaning. The statue is holding a crusader's sword and is standing on a reel of film with five spokes, representing the original five branches of the Academy. Actors, writers, directors, producers, and technicians. It's clear where the statue comes from, but it's still kind of unclear where the name Oscar comes from. The name Oscar was first used in 1934 by columnist Sidney Slotsky when referring to Katharine Hepburn's win for Best Actress in Morning Glory. The Academy itself started using the name in 1939. On the official Academy website, they don't even know for sure. They share a popular story that the Academy librarian and eventual executive director said the statue resembled her uncle Oscar, and then the Academy staff started calling it that. According to Betty Davis, she nicknamed it Oscar because it looked like her husband at the time, Harmon Oscar Nelson. Betty Davis was president of the Academy and said that she coined it then. However, the name Oscar had been used by the Academy previously. She actually claimed she coined the term Oscar. Can you believe that? She told the press that its posterior reminded her of her first husband's ass. His middle name was Oscar. No one ever called him that. Good story though, Betty. Though the trophy itself hasn't changed much over the years, the awards given out have. For example, the Academy Juvenile Award, which was a special category, was awarded from 1934 to 1960 and was notably awarded to Shirley Temple in 1934 Mickey Rooney in 1938, and Judy Garland in 1939. Competitive categories which have been discontinued over the years include Best Assistant Director, Best Dance Direction, and Best Title Writing. How do the Oscars work today? The ceremony and system is almost unrecognizable from its inception. As of December 2020, the Academy had 9,427 eligible Oscar voters. Each member belongs to one of the 17 branches. Remember, there were just five at the beginning. Some of the branches added since the Academy's inception include costume design, short films, feature animation, and documentary. Each branch is responsible for nominating it within its category with the exception of best picture. So actors nominate actors, editors nominate editors, and so on. Everyone can nominate for best picture. For final voting, everyone votes. The Best Picture category is different from the others. Preferential voting is used for this category, so voters basically rank their choices for Best Picture. Variety Magazine describes what happens next here. If Film A earns the most number one votes, say 30%, it seems like a favorite. But if Film B only earned 20% of the number one votes, but was overwhelmingly popular in number two votes, that could end up winning especially if a lot of voters put film A as their number four or nine choice, for example. So in other words, a film may not win in terms of hard numbers, but wins in terms of consensus. Who gets to be in the Academy? To even be considered for the Academy, you need to work in production of feature films. Like any other exclusive organization, you must be sponsored. The only exception here is the Academy Award nominees who are automatically considered. 
Candidates must be sponsored by two Academy members from the branch for which they seek admission. Candidates must then be approved by the branch's executive committee and then submitted to the board. The board has three members elected from each branch, plus three governors at large are appointed. So it's not easy to get in, and to be fair, it shouldn't be easy. I'm sure LB would have wanted his organization to remain exclusive. That part worked out, but did LB's plan completely work? Not really. Of course, the Academy Awards are great for publicity today. However, unions still formed despite the Academy's existence and publicity didn't matter much in the early days as the Great Depression in the 1930s caused the movie industry to tank because no one had money to spend on luxuries like movies. The good news is that because unions were able to form despite the Academy, members of the entertainment labor unions now do have access to healthcare, pensions, and residuals. Beyond forming unions anyway, the Oscars have been used over the years as a platform to bring awareness to important issues instead of squashing the voices of performers as LB had originally intended. One of the most famous instances was in 1973 when Sashin Littlefeather, in traditional Apache dress, took the stage after Marlon Brando was announced as Best Actor for The Godfather. She took the stage and rejected Brando's award and gave a speech indicting the motion picture industry. Brando had decided to decline his second Oscar and instead used a platform to stand in solidarity with the American Indian Movement activists at Wounded Knee. Since the world is watching, presenters and winners have used the spotlight to highlight various human rights and political issues. In 2013, Michael Moore was booed and rushed off stage for his anti-Bush speech, just a few days after the U.S. had invaded Iraq. In 2015, Common and John Legend used their national screen time to highlight the alarming rates of mass incarceration, especially among black men in America. So no, LB's plan to silence the voices of the talent of the industry has not worked, but instead given a world stage to make their voices louder to say things that need to be heard. Winning an Oscar can change the direction of a winner's career, or in some cases have little long-term impact at all. Some award ceremonies come and go under the radar, while others we are still talking about today. Even though they did not originate with the best intentions, I am honestly glad that we have them, for no other reason than they're fun to watch. I'll be watching this year, for sure. Thank you so much for watching. Please like this video, subscribe to this channel, and let me know what you think of this video in the comments.